So we are going to conclude our series called Sweat Equity this morning. This is the third part of this series. I just want to say this. I, I love our church. I love our church family. I'm just encouraged uh, by what God is doing here. I'm so thankful as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, it's been a, f- a full year, and God has been so faithful, so good to us. And I'm excited about the future and what the Lord's going to do. God is going to do His work. And you know what our part is? Our part is to be obedient. Our part is to be faithful to exalt Christ, be faithful to preach the gospel, and disciples will be made, and you will be equipped, the believers will be equipped to do gospel ministry. And that's, that's what we have to stay faithful to do. Just one foot in front of the other. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. And the Lord will add to his church daily those who are being saved. And so it's a great, it's a great thing. It's a great privilege to be a part of God's work in the earth. Amen? Amen. So we are going to continue. We're going to finish the Sweat Equity series. But next week, next week we are going to start our last series in the book of Ephesians. This will be our last series. And this is going to be a series on the armor of God. And we're calling it Stand. Calling it stand in, the, uh, in that section in Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, the Apostle Paul, 10 through 13 in Ephesians 6, he says, Stand, therefore, stand, stand firm. And he's talking about the attacks of the enemy in our life and in our world, and we're called to stand, and, and we have been given all the resources that we need. We're going we're gonna to look at every piece of the armor that God has given us. And how, and how many of you know that there are more than six pieces of armor. Many of you have thought, well, I thought there was only six. But actually, there's seven pieces of armor. So you'll have to sit through all of those to find out what the seventh is. And so we're going we're gonna to go through each week. We're going to have an introductory message next week. And then we're going to go seven weeks looking at the seven pieces of armor that God has given us to stand firm in, in the evil day, in the evil time. And so that's starting next week. But this morning, we will, con- we will conclude this series on sweat equity, we have looked at work. And the first week in this series, in, in, in Ephesians 6, we saw how God has established and created work. We actually went to Genesis. And we laid a, found, a biblical foundation for work, that God was the first worker. He worked first. In the beginning, God created all of creation. It says that he worked. He looked back at his work. He saw that it was good. God worked. God created work before the fall. A lot of people have thought that uh, work is a result of the fall, but work was established by God. And God called Adam to work before they fell into sin. Because of the fall now, you sweat when you work. So he told Adam, you will sweat. You will work by the sweat of your brow. So now work is hard. Thank you, Adam, for that. Right? I wonder what work would have been like without sweat. You know, the, the, the picture is, is that Adam was called to tend the ground. So the ground wouldn't need it to have been tended. It would, have just, it would have just worked. And all the gardeners that are out there, right, wouldn't that have been beautiful? You know, right, you just go out and you, and you plant and, and the Lord does it. You don't have to do work. There's no sweat, right? But because of the fall, now we sweat when we work. But work is still good because God created work before the curse. And that's what we looked at. God's design for work. And then we went to the text in Ephesians and we talked about a, series called, a, a, a message called Working Hard or Hardly Working. And the idea of this message was, yes, we're designed to work, but how are we to work? How does a believer work? And this is, this is admonitions to believers. How are we to work? We're, we're not to work as men pleasers. 
We're not to work only when the boss is looking, right? We are to work as unto the Lord for an audience of one. We're to work with integrity. When you work, when no one is watching, that's integrity. When you work as unto the Lord and you're seeking to please him and you work hard with all of your might, that's integrity. That's God-honoring work. We need a godly work ethic. And we looked at, one of my points was that a lazy work ethic in the life of a believer is a contradiction. So we're not called to be lazy. We're called to work hard, to be diligent, and it glorifies God. And now this morning, we're going to look at the title of the message this morning is Hard Work Pays Off. Hard Work Pays Off. But before we get into this, this is what I want to say. As we continue through this series, you know, we're going through Ephesians, and if we're not careful, we, we can forget the point of the whole book. It's been over a year that we've been going through this book. And this is what I want us to not forget and when, when, when we obey the Lord as believers, that obedience is not what we have to do to try to please the Lord and remain in good favor with him. It's not what we have to do to try to stay saved. That obedience before the Lord as believers is because we have been transformed. That picture we talked about in Ezekiel 36 of the stony heart being exchanged for a heart of flesh is that when we get a new heart, we've been made new creations, that heart of flesh that's tender towards the Lord, you desire to work unto the Lord with all of your heart. You desire to walk in integrity. And when you don't walk in integrity, the Holy Spirit does what? He convicts you. And so we can't get this mixed up. We can't get fruit and works mixed up. We don't work unto the Lord for our salvation. That's the, that's the whole point of Ephesians. That's what we looked at in the very first series several months ago. That we looked at all the blessings of being found in Christ. That if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are in him. You've been transformed. You've been made new. And then the last three chapters in Ephesians, because we're brand new, here's how we lived. And we talked about marriage, family, raising kids. We talked about our tongue and how we talk. We talked about being offended. And we talked about how we are to live. But we, sh- we, sh- we should never get that backwards as believers. We don't earn God's favor by being good enough. We, we, we have earned God's favor because God has given it to us freely by faith in Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, we're different. We're changed. Are you different? Yes. Are you changed? Yes. Amen. That's the gospel. But here's, but here's what we're required to do, not out of law, but out of grace. It's, it's grace. We want to please the Lord. So let, let's go back to the text I figured we would just go back and read that whole section, and we'll, we'll get a running start here. So Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Here's the key verse we're going to focus on for this message, knowing That whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both master and yours is in heaven and that there's no partiality with him. So just a side note here, we're not going to do a message to all the employers here this morning because it's a small percentage of the congregation, but I just want to say this. If you are an employer, if you're a boss, if you're an owner of a company, stop your threatening. (laughs) Don't be hard and overbearing, right? And what does the text say there? Because 
The same master of your employees is your master. And there's no partiality with him. So you are not called to be a harsh master or a harsh ruler. You're called to serve those that are under you. Because God is the judge. God is the judge. But let's think about this text. Verse 8. Let's read it one more time. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. If you look at that text, what is that presenting to us? It's showing us the picture of sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. And the principle of sowing and reaping is a law that God has established. It, 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 is, it, is, it, it, it is an irreversible law, kind of like gravity. How many, of you have, how many of you have ever tried to defeat gravity? Maybe when you were a kid, you thought you could be Superman and defeat gravity, right? You, you jump off of your bed, you jump off of something when you're little, and you realize, wait, gravity wins every time. The same is true with the spiritual law of sowing and reaping. We see this in Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And here's the contrast. For the one who sows to his own flesh... Sinful flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But to the one who sows to the Spirit, he will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So, so there's an eternal perspective to sowing and reaping. That if, that if you will sow to the Spirit, you will surrender your life to Christ. And you will sow to the Spirit that you will reap eternal life. But if you live a life in rebellion against God and you sow to your flesh, you will of your flesh reap corruption and damnation for eternity. That's the spiritual picture, but it's also in all of our life, in every area of life, sowing and reaping. That's what it said in verse 8. It says here, knowing. So we know this good that we do, this hard work that we do on our jobs, this faithfulness on our job, this integrity on our job, this desire to not be people pleasers on our job. We know that whatever good that we do, this good we will receive back from the Lord. We sow and we reap, whether we're a bondservant or we're free. So what is it? This is the core of the message here as we go into this message. What is it that we will receive back from the Lord when we work hard, when we're diligent, when we're faithful? What will we receive back? What will we receive back from the Lord? What good things do we receive when we work as unto the Lord with integrity, not by way of eye service and with a good attitude? What does God say? There's nothing explicit within this text that we can pull out. The only thing that's explicit in this is that we do receive back from the Lord when we work as, as unto him. But we can look, do a survey of Scripture, and we can look at principles that we can see in Scripture that can show us what we receive back from hard, faithful work. The first thing I want to say is this. God-honoring work brings joy and satisfaction. God-honoring work brings joy and satisfaction. How many of you have ever started a project? You started the project, and you're looking at it, right? Maybe it's, this is a good example for all of us men. I'm not saying ladies don't do this, but for all of us men, your wives bring in that box from the store. And it's a desk, it's a table, it's a, it's a bookshelf, it's a bed. And you bring it in, and it's got 500 pieces. And, and you're just like all of these steps. And, and three hours later, you're like, oh my goodness, why did she do this to me? This is terrible. That's why I am determined that I will buy things that are put together. 
put together. I'll pay extra. I don't mind. Right? But what happens when you, when you do stick it out? When you actually open the instructions? What happens when you open the instructions and you read it and it takes you forever and all these pieces and you're going and, and when you're done, what do you do? You look at it, you step back and you say, this is good. This is really, really good. I love it, right? That's called satisfaction. That's joy. There's satisfaction. You put in hard work, you produce a product and you step back and you go, wow, I'm pretty awesome. <laughs> I did something really amazing here. But you know what's interesting about that? That your wife doesn't really think that. You know, it's like, yeah, you're supposed to do that. <laughs> it's a part of your job description. But anyway, we dealt with that a few weeks back in marriage. We need words of affirmation, don't we, husbands? So, 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 so wives, when your husband does the project for you, man, throw him a party. Bake a cake. Thank him. Because look, if you want him to do it again, you need to affirm what he did the first time. Amen? Good preaching. We can leave right now. You know, God, God did that. God did this step back satisfaction joy, Genesis 131. He created everything. God saw everything that he had made. And I love this. And behold. That word behold means what? Look. Right? So that's what we do. We, we work hard and we're working on this project and we, we say, look, Behold. And what did God say? Behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. God stepped back, looked at his work and said, wow, wow, look at this work that I've done. It's very, very good. That's what hard work produces. Diligence produces. Being faithful produces. There's a satisfaction that comes to hard work. But you know what the the struggle is? Is that we live in a time where distractions from work are getting greater and they're increasing seemingly every day. So many, so many distractions from hard work. So many distractions from the work we're called to do. Think of all the different avenues and ways. We've got TV. We've got the internet. We've got cell phones. Social media. We can instantly escape into a false reality. Like this. A false reality. You know, I was watching the NCAA tournament. Who saw LSU win at the last second? Wasn't that awesome? I loved it. I love when Tremont Waters went up there and, you know, he did travel, though. Go watch the replay. He went one. Well, he's kind of carrying first. He kind of carried first. He kind of did this, did a big carry. And then he went one, two, three steps is a travel, right? Three. And he scooped and he scored. But I didn't know what referee would ever call a travel on that in the last play. That would have been terrible, right? But he traveled, but he won. It was amazing. But you know what's interesting about that? No call, baby. It's a false reality. I, 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 I can vicariously celebrate with them, but that's not my world. That's not my life. It means something to them that it will never mean to me. And this is the temptation. This, this pushes us back from this hard work that produces joy and satisfaction are all the distractions of life, all the ways for us to escape into a false reality. You've got, you've got men, grown men, that they will spend hours and hours and hours in video games. Hours upon hours escaping to a false reality. Hours and hours we could all be tempted to, to do this with our thumb or whatever finger you use to scroll on social media. Just to escape. And you know what it does? It prevents us from receiving back from the Lord the joy and satisfaction that we get from hard 
work, faithful work. God placed in us a desire to work, to be productive. And our hard work and diligence brings glory to God. When we work and create, when we solve problems, when we, designed and, when we design and build. How many designers do we have here this morning? Whether it's a machine shop, whether it's a carpenter, whatever. You're, maybe you're a plumber and you design plumbing systems for houses and, and, and businesses. Whatever you do, if you're a designer... It's such a beautiful thing when you design and you work and you build. That is a gift from God, that joy at the, what was produced by your diligence and your hard work. It's a blessing from God. But we have to fight against the distractions. We, we design and we build and God gets glory and we are re- rewarded with joy and satisfaction that comes from faithful work. God honoring work, faithful work produces joy. And satisfaction. I believe that's the first thing we receive back from God. The satisfaction. That God, you, you've called me to be a part of your plan in this life. In whatever vocation I have. And if I will work hard and be faithful. That you, you give that to me. It, it's okay to be satisfied and filled with joy over what is produced by your hard work. God did it. If God steps back and sees his creation and says it's good, then we can step back and look at the work we've produced and say, thank you, God, you've given me the strength to work. Thank you, God, that you've given me the intellect to understand how this works and what I should do. It's a gift from God. That's one of the first things we receive back from God. Sowing hard work, reaping satisfaction and joy. Second thing is this. God honoring work is rewarded with rest. God-honoring work is rewarded with rest. Rest is the reward we get from doing work that God has called us to. I just want to say this. We don't need rest from our rest. We don't need rest from our rest. We need rest from hard work, right? So some of you, you like resting from your rest. You ever been on vacation and you get back and you're like, oh. Especially if you go to Disney. I, I think we're gluttons for punishment. We went to Disney a few years back and we're planning on going back because we want, we believe this, this idea that's there that my precious four-year-old's going to be the best thing in her life, right? She's going to, she, her eyes are going to light up and she's going to see all the princesses that she sees in the cartoons and we just, we've, we've been hooked. But you know what's going to happen when we, when we go to Disney and all the Disney lovers here, I know you, you don't want me to say this, but it's true. When you go to Disney, uh, we went once and we're like, Whew, we got home. It's overwhelming. There's thousands and thousands of people everywhere. But you know, I think they put something in the water, in the food. Then when we got back, after we recovered, we thought, I want to go back. I want to go back. There's something that's magical over there at Disney, right? But we don't need rest from our rest. Rest is a reward for hard work, for hard, diligent work. Again, this is what God did. Genesis 2, 1 through 2. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God established rest not because he needed it, but because we do. So here's the thing. Does God need anything? When I first read that scripture, actually in my D group, we were talking about that. I don't know if it was in... In the first one or the second one, I think maybe in both, we talked about this idea. God doesn't need anything, but it says that he rested. He rested on the seventh day. 
So that's, you know, Psalms 121 says this. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps you will neither slumber nor sleep. God doesn't rest. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't need rest. He is self-sustaining, correct? He is self-sustaining. He's all-sufficient. We are not. Created beings are not self-sufficient. They're not self-sustaining. We need rest. So it's such an interesting thing. The only reason God put that in Genesis, I believe, is that he was establishing rest for us. And so we need rest from work. God doesn't need rest. He doesn't need anything. As created beings, we are not self-sustaining. We are needy people. We need because we were created to need. We need him. We need him for strength. We need him for the intellect we have to do our jobs. We need him for everything. We are needy people. We were created to be sustained by God. Some of you here this morning, just speaking to a select few, have no problem receiving God's reward of rest from your work. Some of you here are like, oh, yeah, I love it. I have no problem. Right? That's not most of us here, right? There's some of you here, though. Others of you pride yourselves in not needing rest. I don't need rest. I'm good. I'm going to persevere. I'm going to work hard. I'm not going to stop. I don't need sleep. Who needs sleep? I need sleep. (laughs) I need rest, right? But if you're not careful, you can begin to pride yourself. This this idea that I have a great work ethic and, and, and lesser men need rest, but I don't. Don't deceive yourself. You need rest. If we're not careful, we can develop a pride-filled attitude in, in our work. We can take pride in our great work ethic and try to demonstrate that that, that that great work ethic by ignoring God's design of rest. So, so I, I, I ask the question here. Why do we need to make ourselves rest? Why do we need to make ourselves rest? First reason is this. Our physical bodies were not designed to function without rest. They're not designed to function without rest. You don't rest, you will break down. You don't rest from the work that you're called to do, you will break down. You continue to lose sleep, you continue to not rest your body and be refreshed. God did it, God established it, and if you ignore it, you will break down. You will get sick in your body. You will mentally break down. You will be too overburdened and over, you, you will be, oh, the, the, the burdens will be too overbearing for your thinking if you do not stop. From your work and rest. God designed that. Second reason that we need to make ourselves rest is that our families need us to be fully engaged. Our families need us to be fully engaged. We need to be there to be able to be the husbands, the mothers, the fathers, the wives that God's called us to be. Our families don't need us to get off of our jobs. And because we have progressively not obeyed God to rest, that when we're home, we're not home. When we're home, we go and we sit and we watch TV and we pass out because we're so exhausted. Our families need us to be fully engaged. Thirdly, I believe we need to make ourselves rest because we need to fight against greed. We need to fight against greed. Some of you say, well, if I rest, if I stop, then I'm not going to get the hours that I need. I just want you to know if you're working 60, 70, 80 hours per week, pull it back. Pull it back. There's not enough money in the world for the work that you do that is worth losing your family, 
losing your marriage. There's not, losing the respect of your children. There's not enough work you can do that you can prove yourself to other people about how much of a worker you are. And there's, there, there's not enough out there, not enough toys you can buy, not enough things you can do with the money you will earn from all of your work that is worth sacrificing God's gifts in your life of, of your family. And what, and what matters, some of you, you struggle to come to church because you have not prioritized your schedule to put God first and worship with God's people because you work too much. And you say, well, if I don't work, then I'm not going to be able to pay my bills. You, you prior, listen, you prioritize your priorities correct. Honor God, he'll take care of the rest. Honor God, he'll take care of the rest. I believe that with all of my heart. We have to fight against greed. We do that by resting. Fourthly, we must make ourselves rest to be effective in what God's called us to do. It's common sense. If we're going to do what God's called us to do, we must rest. And then lastly, because we desire to follow the Lord's example. God rested. He rested. And if he rested, who needs not, who needs not rest? How much more do we need to rest? We must make ourselves rest. And you know this whole principle of the Sabbath. God established the Sabbath for the nation of Israel. And the, the primary pers- purpose of, of, of Sabbath for the nation of Israel, which would have been sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, that Sabbath rest on, the, on that Sabbath day was designed for their rest. Was designed that they would rest. Built-in day for them to rest. And what did they do? What did the Pharisees and the scribes do? They took that day and they turned it into legalism. They turned it into legalism. They lost the whole point. Look at, look at Mark 2, 27 through 28. The disciples of Jesus were going and they were plucking grain on the Sabbath day. And one of the rules and regulations for the Jews that the scribes and Pharisees perverted was that they were to do no work on the Sabbath. And it was considered work to pluck grain. So they were plucking grain and eating of the grain in the fields. And the Pharisees looked at Jesus and says, Why? Your disciples disobey the Sabbath. And Jesus' answer is this. He said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the, of the Sabbath. So what is Jesus saying to them? You've missed the point of Sabbath rest. You missed the point of the Sabbath. And so now we no longer celebrate the Sabbath as the Jews did. That day to honor the Lord is no longer on the Saturday. It's on Sunday. And why is it that we celebrate the Lord on Sunday? Because it was Friday he was crucified and it was Sunday he was resurrected. This is the Lord's day. This is why we celebrate. Colossians 2 says this, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Those days, those special days are done away with as in the Old Testament law. Let no one pass judgment on you. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The Lord's day in the new covenant is the first day of the week, which is Sunday. We see this in Acts 20. If you want to research that, Acts 20 or 1 Corinthians 16, the church met on the first day of the week to commemorate the resurrection. This is to commemorate the resurrection of Jesus on the third day. This is why we worship on Sundays. Sabbath was not instituted by God for us to legalistically observe one day over another. Sabbath was instituted by God for us to rest from our labor. We honor the Lord on Sundays. 
the first day of the week. And we follow the Lord's example by taking Sabbath rest. Every day belongs to the Lord, right? There's no greater day other than any other day. All days belong to him. But we set aside Sundays to honor him, to worship together as saints. But we honor the Sabbath by resting. We worship on Sunday, but we rest. We take Sabbath rest. We do this to refresh our physical bodies, to better treasure our family, and to stay ready to do God's will for our life. So what do we receive back from our hard work? We receive rest. It is a reward for hard work. So I want to tell you, don't break the Sabbath. Don't break Sabbath rest. Don't try to ignore what God has established. You need rest in your life. You need, you must have rest. And when I first became pastor here, I tried to take Fridays off. Because Sunday is a work day. This is a work day for, for me. And I tried to take Fridays off. And, and you know what was happening was I was working because I was doing sermon prep all the way through into Saturday. And so I would sermon prep from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then I'd go in half a day on Saturday. And it took several months. And my wife realized this is not going to work for us and for our family. You have to rest. And so I make myself take Sabbath rest on Mondays. That is my time that I don't, I don't work on Monday. I am taking Sabbath rest. And then I come back, and for a little while it was hard because I felt like I was behind the eight ball here. But, but God has honored that. And it has been a time that I'm protecting time with my family. And I don't know what your schedule looks like, but you have to figure out a time that works for you. Honor God in your family by resting. Amen? Third thing that we receive back from the Lord. God-honoring work brings resources for us to steward. So we get joy and satisfaction that we receive back from hard work. And and rest is a reward for hard work. And and also, we get money. We get resources. Let's go back to the text, Ephesians 6, 8. Let's look at this. Look back at it. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. That word receive here. That Paul is saying that we receive something back from our good work. That word receive is translated from a Greek word that gives the picture of being compensated. Being paid from work. How many of you work a job where you get a paycheck? Right? If you're working a job where you're not getting paid, get another job. <laughs> Don't work for free. Right? I mean, that's what the Bible says. 1 Timothy five seventeen through 18. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Listen to this. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. So what's the picture there? The ox is treading out the grain. It's working. It's working. What's the picture here? The laborer deserves his wages. When you work, you get paid. So I just want to say this. If you hire somebody to do work, pay them according, according to the job. Don't, don't, if, you're a, if you're a boss here, pay them a fair wage. If you hire somebody to work at your house, look, even within the body of Christ, we all love each other, but if somebody within the church does work for you, don't expect to get a freebie. Right? Honor the Lord. Honor them. A laborer is worthy of his hire. We pay for work. Now, if you are a worker and we help each other out, if the Lord lays in your heart and you say, no, I'm not going to take payment for what I've done. Well, then you let the Lord bless you, but you pay those who work for you. Why? Because the laborer deserves his wages. When we work, we get payment. This is the reward for our work, our hard-earned money, right? We work hard, and we get money. But here's the bigger biblical reality. 
This is what's interesting about Scripture. I, I love this picture. The bigger biblical reality is that the money we earn from our job is not our money. Right? That's why I, I labeled this reward that we get is a stewardship. We work hard. We sweat by our brow with the work that we do. But the wages we get is not ours. That's the biblical principle. It is not our money. First Corinthians 4, 7 says this. What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Some of you think, well, I worked so hard. This is my money. No, no, it's not your money. What do you have that you did not receive? All of it comes from the Lord. Romans 11. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable is his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Listen to this. For from him and through him and to him are all things. From him are all things. It's his money. It is his resources. He gave you the intellect. He gave you the strength. He gives you the ability to work. And so the resources, the payment, right? You should be paid for your job. That payment that you get belongs to him. God is the owner. He is the source of all of our provision. Though our, through our work, he gives us the privilege of stewarding his resources. So this idea of stewardship and not ownership, You know what that does when we have that right perspective about the money that we get through our hard work? With that mindset of a stewardship mindset, it produces something in us. When we have the opposite mindset of this idea, this is my money, I worked hard for it, I've been diligent, I've been faithful, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. There are are traits that are produced from that mindset. But what is produced in us when we properly view the resources we've been given to steward because of our work? This is what is produced. These are the traits. Humility is the first one. As you consider your greatest achievements in life as undeserved gifts. When you understand that the greatest things that you could ever do in this life, the greatest work that you could ever produce, it is is an undeserved gift. We don't deserve that God would bless us. We don't deserve that he would reward us for our hard work, but he gives it to us. And when we see that properly, then... then then we can have humility in our work. It wasn't because I did it. It was because God did it in me and through me. It's from him. All things are from him. Second trait that is developed in this is a divine dependency. As you entrust yourself to our creator from whom all things flow. That's what we read in Romans. There's a divine dependency. Are you dependent on the Lord? If you're not, if you think you're not, I want to tell you, you are. We all are. And if if we forget that this is all a stewardship, this is all a gift from God, then we become self-reliant. And we forget that we are divinely dependent upon the Lord for everything. When we see ourselves as a steward and not an owner, there's responsibility that is developed as you use his possessions in a way that glorifies him. Right? If I took finances, listen to me. If I took finances that I worked hard for, and I said to one of you, hey, I want you to take this money. I want you to watch it. I want you to steward it. I want you to do something with it to make it increase. Kind of like a financial planner is supposed to do, right? And I gave it to you. What will you feel, right? Let's say I gave you a couple million dollars. I said, hey, watch over this while I'm gone. Take care of it. How would you feel? You'd be like, oh, my goodness. This is not my money. 
This doesn't belong to me. There's that sense of responsibility, and we need to feel that way about the money that we earn from our hard work. It's his. When we have a stewardship mindset, I'm going to be careful with how I spend this money because it belongs to God, not to me. The next trait that is developed in our life is generosity. And they all flow together. Humility, dependency, responsibility, and generosity. As you give just as freely as you have been given. That's what happens whenever you hold the money loosely that's been given to you. Because you know it didn't come from you. You're not filled with pride and, and think, this is my money. I worked for it. And you squeeze, you squeeze that $1 bill and Washington begins to cry because you're squeezing him so hard. Right? If you have a humble approach to your finances, you, you start to let it go. You start to realize, you know, this life's not about what I can accumulate. This life's not about the possessions I can have and the toys I can have. God has taken finances and resources that he, that he gives me through my work. And he says, hey, take it. Steward it. Use it for my glory. It produces generosity in us. And I want to say a couple of things concerning Christian giving. We have faithful givers here at Living Word Church that have been, given, have been giving faithful for many, many years. That's why we are doing what we're able to do here. But I want to talk about Christian giving just for a moment. Jesus said in Luke 6.38, give and it will be given to you. Sowing and reaping, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. What's this picture? This is an interesting picture. Do we ever give like that? What's the picture here? This, is, this would have been an, an, an ancient Middle Eastern practice when there wasn't currency to exchange. There was bartering of goods. And so the picture that Jesus is using here is let's say I have this basket full of barley. And I'm wanting to exchange that barley for something else that somebody has. So here's the idea. I'm going to exchange this barley for some other good or service. And so I'm getting ready to exchange. So what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Well, If you have the wrong mindset, you're going to just put the bare minimum. I'm just going to give the bare minimum. I'm going to make sure that it's, it's no more than, 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 than what covers that basket. I'm going to fill it up with barley. And I'm going to say, here, here's what I'm going to give you in exchange for what you're going to give me. It's the bare minimum. What's the picture here? Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure. You, you do a good measure, right? You measure it good. Your, your scales are balanced. You're not trying to deceive. It's a good measure. But what, what do you do if you have a generous heart? You press down. That's what they would do. They would press it down. They would press it down. Let's press down that basket of barley, right? Because I'm trying to squeeze in more. You press it down. Then they would shake it so that all the loose spots, all the open air spots could be filled in with the barley. You press down. You shake together, then you put more on top to where you're fitting as much as you can, and it runs over, and then it says that it will be put into your lap. So that's what they would do. They would wear these long robes, and they'd they'd open up their robe, and you would dump that barley into their lap, into their robe, and they would walk home with what they received from you in exchange for goods and services. So what's the text saying? That if you will give like that, if you will not think about yourself and how to get away with the bare minimum, but if you will do a good measure, if you will press it down, if you will shake it together, that when somebody comes and exchanges with you, they're going to do the same thing. But if you're stingy, you can be stingy to you too, right? That's, that's the picture. That's what Jesus said. 
He had a larger purpose in view here. Those who give, receive because their generosity is recognized by God and others. And because they are the kind of people who will continue to give. That's the idea. Listen, Christian giving is God's plan to bless the generous, not enrich those who are greedy. Put that on your refrigerator. Christian giving is God's plan to bless the generous, not enrich the greedy. When we give as Christians, it's not because we're trying to get in return. It's because we want to be generous to to support the Lord's work, to bless those that are in need, to give as God has called us to. And if we will be generous, God blesses the generous. It's not a plan to try to get stuff. I talked about the prosperity gospel last week. And, and th- th- this is not what Christian giving is about. You give so you can get back. But God promises in his word that if you will be generous, he will bless you. It will be not only physical blessings, but spiritual blessings. Give, press down, shaken together, and running over will it be given back to you. I want to say this real quickly. 2 Corinthians 9 says this. This is the point, speaking of giving generously. Whoever sows sparingly, same picture in Luke 6, will reap sparingly whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully listen to this each one it means me and you all of us in here each one must give as he has decided in his heart what's the lord laying on your heart to give not reluctantly not reluctantly i lost my place here i've got Luke 6, mixed up with here. Let's go, I'll read it off the screen. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart to give. Not reluctantly. When you give to the church, when you give to the Lord, when you give to others, don't give, as we said, like you're squeezing Washington and you're squeezing Jefferson and, and you're just reluctant in your giving. No. You lose your reward. You lose your blessing. Don't give reluctantly. Let's go back to the text. Don't give reluctantly, and don't give under compulsion. Look, don't give because you feel like if you don't give, God's going to curse you. That's not how Christian giving works. That's not how Christian giving works. Christian giving is based upon the generosity of our hearts because we have been transformed by the gospel and God has freely given to us. And so gospel-centered giving is that all of our resources... We hold with an open hand. We don't give reluctantly, and we don't give because somebody tells us that if we don't give, God's going to curse us. It's not true. Don't give under compulsion. But here's the principle. For God loves a cheerful giver. Amen? Those are the things we receive back. We receive resources. We receive rest. We receive joy and satisfaction Through our hard work. God honoring work brings to us resources. We are called to steward. Here's the point. For God's purposes in the earth. It should be the joy of our heart. To take our hard earned money. And use it for God's glory. Because it's not our hard earned money. It's his. Lastly as we conclude. This is what I want to say. Those are the things that we receive back. Satisfaction. Rest. And resources. Satisfaction, rest, and resources. But this is the last thing. This is not something we receive back, but this is an admonition for all of us. Number four, don't grow weary in well-doing. Don't grow weary in well-doing. I want to go back to Galatians 6. Do you remember earlier? We read about sowing and reaping. 
Let's read it again. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whoever, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Sowing, reaping, and here's verse 9. And let us not grow weary in doing good. You remember back? Ephesians 6, 8, the good that you do, you will receive back, right? This good work, the the job you're on is a good work. Don't grow weary in doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. So I want to tell you, the job that God has given you, this is kind of our concluding point for this whole three-part series. The job that God has given you, I talked about this in week one, is a job that you're called to. The job that you have may, may not be the job that you like, The job that you have may be frustrating and overwhelming, but I want you to know that the job you have is from God. It's his provision to you. So don't grow weary in well-doing. If if you give up, if you quit, then, 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 then maybe, just maybe you're cutting off God's blessing that he has for you later. Don't give up. Work hard. Be faithful. If we will not grow weary in well-doing, we will reap in due season. Let us not grow weary in honoring the Lord through the job he's given us. So this is what I want to tell you. Keep planting those seeds of faithfulness. Keep planting those seeds of faithfulness. Keep planting the seeds of hard work. As believers, let's be the best employees in this community, in this area, that any business has has, has ever had. Let it be known of our life as believers that we're faithful, that that we work hard, that we're diligent, not because we're trying to prove something, but because of who we are. Because of who we are. How do you witness on your job? Some of you say, well, I would love to witness. And we, we, we look at that go-tell wall that's out there. I don't know how many of you know what that go-tell wall is. But it, it's a way for us to tangibly see how we are impacting the world in our area through our lives. And every time you impact somebody and you preach the gospel, you invite them to church, you go in and you write that person's name or that nickname. Maybe they worked at Rouse's or Walmart. And you, you, you share your faith. You put that in there. And it's, it, it shows us that we are tangibly touching our community. And so that's the goal of what we do. And so when you're on your job, how do you impact people for the gospel? Some of you say, well, I don't know if I am. I'm not bold enough to open my, my mouth yet. Well, I just want to tell you that if they know on your job that you're a believer, one of the primary ways you witness to them is by showing up on time is by opening the door for the ladies when, they, when they're coming in. It's by being faithful, being a hard worker, not talking back to your boss, being the one that, that goes the extra mile. Your good, godly work ethic. When those unbelievers look and say, that's how a Christian works. It's a testimony. That's what we do. That's what we're called to do. Keep planting the seeds of faithfulness. Keep planting the seeds of hard work. Keep planting the seeds of integrity. Keep planting the seeds of working for an audience of one. Keep at it. Don't give up. Why? Because in due season, you will reap if you faint not. Amen. Stand your feet. In due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word that challenges us to work as as unto you. With a sincere heart. Lord, I pray, Lord, that as we're faithful, as we are living in accordance with who we are in Christ, I pray, Lord, that you would use us mightily. I pray, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to stay faithful, to not give up, to trust in you. And I pray, Lord, that that as you bless us, these rewards from hard work, Lord, that you'd help us to rest. Help us, help us, Lord, not to work so hard that we forget, we forget those things that are important. 
relationship with you, the body of Christ and our families. Lord, I pray that you would also help us, Lord, to hold loosely the resources that are a result of our work. Help us to be generous people, Lord. You, you will reward the generous. And we thank you for that truth. I pray a blessing over this congregation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 I love you. You are dismissed.